Leafs podcast. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode on Spotify, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's Nick D'Souza and Kevin Papetti. Welcome to the Everything Leaves Podcast. I'm Kevin Papetti here with Nick D'Souza. As always, we have an emergency podcast here after a trade. We are a couple days late. Trade happened Friday. Today is Monday. Nick is in Panama. Nick, recording all the way from Panama. This is dedication. It is dedication. I mean, the day I arrived, I mean, I think you, both you and I have been pretty tuned in to the trade deadline and the rumors and what the Leafs could do, what they can't do. And then, sure enough, the day I'm traveling, the day that I actually just arrive, I'm tired from, from traveling all day and whatnot and the delays and whatnot, and... What wakes me up at 11 o'clock p.m.? A text from you saying O'Reilly to Toronto. So I appreciate the text, first of all, because I definitely wasn't dialed into Twitter that day. But uh, yeah, I don't know if Dubis was just waiting for a nice Friday night when we were all doing something to to pull a trade. Yeah, so what's been the reaction like in Panama? Is it excitement about O'Reilly for the Leafs? They, or they is closed it down concern? the country. Is it concern about Gaudet? leaving the Marlies which which one is it well they're definitely I was in the gym the other day and they have the Marlies game up definitely a lot of Growlers fans here so uh, yeah I think they're excited to see the opportunity and big Nolachari fans here too wow wow yeah so I guess before we get into the actual price um obviously a bunch of picks there are four picks in total going uh just your thoughts on O'Reilly and, and what he brings to the Leafs well I think when you look at all of the different targets the Leafs could have gone for. O'Reilly's definitely the best fit. Now, I know you and I have talked for weeks now about rentals versus people who have term, but when we look at just the player, O'Reilly definitely gives them what they need right now. And and, and let's like let's not even talk about the intangibles of him winning a cup before him kind of having that that grit that a lot of people talk about, but they needed someone that could potentially be a top 6 player. O'Reilly does that. He has a track record of being good offensively in this league. He is one of the best defensive players in the league over the past five years. Uh, I know I tweeted yesterday that he's seventh in takeaways at five on five um, from 2018 to 2021. So, or sorry, to 22. So, uh, you know, Matthews, Marner also in the top seven there. Nylander at a 14th. So, like, this is a guy who's just been very, very good defensively. He's, you know, top five in Selkie votes every single year. So, he can play center. He can play left wing. Like, he's exactly what they need as a player. Um, and then, you know, the, the cherry on top is he's won the Stanley Cup before. He's a, he's a captain in the NHL, so, with the Blues. So, I think the player himself is a very good fit. Um, you know, we'll talk about the price, and we'll definitely talk about a potential extension, but... I think those two things definitely play a role in, in how much we should like this trade. But, hey, you know what? This is a good team this year. I do think that they needed, you know, definitely an addition. And O'Reilly's probably their best fit right now. So I think right now you can look at it as a huge positive for Toronto. Yeah, so I tweeted out before. I thought there was one rental he was worth giving up a first for. Now, Patrick Kane scored a hat-trick last night and, and tried to make that look like a terrible take. But... I still think Kane's been so up and down this year. Um, like, you know, with, with his lack of effort on the defensive end, I know you, you expect him to be motivated and, 
and be a better player. But O'Reilly is just a consistent player uh, who really brings it on both ends of the ice. Obviously a former Selkie trophy winner, Conn Smythe winner, as you alluded to. Uh, so he's won the cup. Uh, Lady Bing just seems to be a great leader. Just a, It seems like everyone who talks about him just loves him as a teammate. Um, and I think what's nice about this, like before we get into the cost, is just it's nice to actually add a legitimate difference maker. I know in, in previous seasons, I didn't think fully know. I, know. I get why they did it. I get why they gave up a first. But he wasn't really a true difference maker. He was more like a second line, third line winger. Um, and then you look at guys like Placanic, you look at guys like Boyle. I mean, I, I would call Muzzin a difference maker, that's for sure. But since then, and perhaps other than that, there hasn't really been huge difference makers at the deadline. It's been more smaller complementary pieces. And O'Reilly's a player who, you know, was a Team Canada in a best-on-best tournament, right? Like, he played fourth-line center for Team Canada. Um, and, and I know he's having a bit of a down year, but, like, the goals are still there. It looks like just his assists are down, his on-ice shooting percentage is down, his teammates haven't really been converting. Um, so, yeah, he's a, he's a legitimate top-six center. Uh, the, the cost to acquire one is always going to be quite high at the deadline, and, you know, I hope he's, he's staying around on a team-friendly contract. I think that'll be the, the next thing. I guess we'll see where he ends up in the lineup. I'll ask you about your lines later on. But, yeah, like, this is a legitimate difference maker. It's an exciting time, you know, for the rest of the season here to see what the Leafs can do. Uh, I, I, I do think that it gives them – he could be a, make a huge difference in a playoff series against Tampa, against Boston, and, and really be the reason they win a series. So just definitely very excited to see it. Uh, I was at the game on Saturday, actually, so he got a really loud ovation. Um, unfortunately, dumped Biosteel on himself, not knowing which water bottle was which. <laughs> but, yeah, like, I think – as as Leafs fans, I think this is what you really look forward to. I, the picks could hurt them in the end. So let's get into the cost, actually. Um, so there were two Marleys involved, neither of which really had any trade value. Adam Gaudet, who they signed for nothing in the offseason, probably just giving him an NHL chance. Uh, Mikhail Abramov, who I used to be high on a junior, but just never had the size and explosiveness for the AHL. I, I didn't really think he was an NHL prospect anymore. Um, and then you have a first, you have a second, you have a third, and you have a fourth. Uh, you did get double retention on Riley, so the fourth did go to Minnesota. You also get Nola Chari, who might be worth, say, a third. So, you know, the way I mainly see it is a first and second for Riley at half retain. Um, thoughts on that price, Nick? I think that's fine. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, Abramov is, is definitely like one of the lower pieces in terms of just value. I'm probably a little bit higher on him than you are. I think he's made some strides this year in the AHL. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's so small when you look at how good O'Reilly really is. I think the price for O'Reilly itself is fine. At the end of the day, like they virtually paid a little bit more for all the retention, especially from Minnesota. So like I've seen some people kind of knock how much they paid without even considering how much they got retained. Like on the books right now, what is it? One point eight seven five. That O'Reilly. Yeah, but yeah. it's just this year. So like they didn't have to do the deal. They didn't have to do the rental route. But it is exp- like a first. It is still a first, second, third, or fourth. I know they got retention, but two rental forwards. I'm I'm fine with the price. Look, I don't think. I think when you look at the leaps where they are, um, I think it could have potentially been worse. Um, you know, you, you look at Boston, you look at Tampa. I think even Pittsburgh, Washington, like I think they look at that price and they say, well, we could have beaten that potentially. 
maybe not Tampa because they don't have any picks, but I think other teams look at this trade and say, well, we potentially could have beat this. Like, And I, I think other teams would have wanted to beat it knowing where they are in terms of you know, Bergeron getting older, Stamkos getting older, where they are in their development and where their organization is. So I, I think O'Reilly is just a really good player. I, I actually really like the price. I don't think it's bad per se. I think if he walks in the summer, then maybe we circle back and say potentially that there was a little bit too much. But I think right now, looking at the trade, you're getting a really good player for this year. And I would say a decent chance of re-signing him. I mean, he's from uh, Ontario. Um, he's made a ton of money throughout his career. So I, I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if he really took a, a team-friendly contract and then this trade looks even better. So the price, I'm okay with. Yeah, so there is, I guess it is like making two trades, right? Because they've added not just O'Reilly, but they've added a depth forward who's actually looked really good so far. Nolachari uh, surprised me. He had five shots against Montreal, obviously scored against Chicago, not afraid to throw the body around. I think they had like 95 plus percent expected goals last night against Chicago. Um, so I, in my mind, it's Achari for a third. Um, I think that's about what you, you would go for. Um, and then it's it's O'Reilly for a first, second, and fourth. The fourth is, you know, not a huge deal in this sort of thing. Gets your retention. But, yeah, I think that's that's about the expected price for a rental top six center when you look at, like, comparables. I know Kevin Hayes got traded a few years ago. We don't really see top six centers get traded very often. But I think there would be so many teams that would give up a first for O'Reilly, like pretty much every team, that, you know, you had to figure the cost was going to be more. So I, I guess my my guess would have been, you know, a first and a second. So I, I think the price is as expected. Uh, I don't think it's particularly high. I think that's probably because, you know, he's had a bit of a down season point-wise. Uh, if he was having a strong season, maybe it's a little, even a little bit more um, for just the O'Reilly side of things. But, yeah, there is a still a question of, you know, is this the best move? I saw Don LeShizen's tweet. Um, I think it, it changes the Leafs' odds from in his model in the first round by like one point eight percent, so nothing substantial. But at, at the same time, like hockey is a sport where it's very difficult to get two percent in terms of win percentage. Like fifty mm-hmm. fifty is a coin flip, and sixty forty often is like one of the bigger favorites of the first round if you're a sixty forty favorite. So hopefully that that two percent makes a difference. I don't know if it's you know, the smartest move in the grand scheme of things if he walks as a free agent. But I do think that this was kind of the way that the Leafs are going. Uh, it's almost an ownership decision. Um, you know, you don't extend your general manager. You're kind of signaling that we want results now. We need results this year. Um, and, you know, I don't I don't really agree with that uh, approach from, from ownership. You know, you're one of the most profitable NHL franchises, if not the most profitable uh, I don't know why they're, you know, they haven't given Dubas an extension yet, even if it is a, you know, a one-year type of thing for security. Um, but for now, for the short term, definitely enjoy it. I think I think there is upside, and, and this is kind of what I was thinking of before the trade, when I was thinking of O'Reilly earlier that day, um, is that I looked at his career earnings, and it's more than Mark Giordano. I think he's like $8 million more than Mark Giordano per cap friendly. Yeah, it makes sense. And he's from Ontario, and, you know, you, you saw the video of his dad 
you know, tweeting out the video of his kids watching him play. And he's already played. I think he's gone to Colorado, Buffalo, and St. Louis. So this is his fourth team. He's in his 30s. Does he want to just settle down and take a little bit less? Like, I think once guys have made, you know, 70-plus million dollars, a little bit more likely to take a discount. I don't think he's going to take the Giordano deal. He's, He's not at that stage of his career yet. But does he take a million less? Does he take a million and a half less or a year less than he'd get... Uh, on the open market I don't think he's a player who wants to go take the highest offer necessarily like I don't think he's going back to Buffalo maybe they're a little bit better now I don't think that's happening though I don't think he's going to like a bottom team at this stage of his career I think he wants to win so I'm just interested to see what that extension looks like if one happens well I know I was reading um, I don't know who the the athletics representative is in St. Louis but their article about probably Jeremy Rutherford it could have been yeah about how um O'Reilly pretty much, I mean, he's the captain of St. Louis, you know, similar to, to Felino, where Felino said, I guess, had a list of teams that he would want to get traded to. Uh, I guess a similar situation happened with O'Reilly. Toronto was on the list. So I, I hope that there, that does mean that he wants to stay potentially after this year. I guess that's something we'll talk about in the offseason. In terms of or, the organization and Dubis, I mean, I, I tweeted the other day, just I hope that the fact that they traded for two rentals isn't indicative of what, you know, Dubas's future with the team. I think anyone that listens to the podcast knows how you and I feel about it. I think he's done a good job here. I think for the first time in a long time, there's continuity from the top to the bottom of the organization, from the scouts to the development to the head coach, um, and then the players, obviously, where it seems like there's just a very continuous plan between all of them. So... Um, to me, I hope it doesn't mean anything. So I guess we'll see. I mean, to me, I think that there must be a, um, you know, a contract or an extension kind of under the table. Uh, I don't know from a PR standpoint, if they did extend him like earlier in the season, I do think there would be fans that would kind of question it. So I guess we'll see, uh, what, what happens in the playoffs, but I definitely hope that they're not saying, okay, well, if you don't win a round, you're getting fired. Because I don't think that's the right way of doing business pretty much ever, especially with the general manager. So I think he's done a good job. So we'll see what happens. But um, I think I think in a nutshell, I think this is a good trade. I mean, even if they lose him, you know, we'll see how he does in the playoffs. But I hope he does extend. I think it does make sense for him to extend with, with all the things that we've talked about so far. Yeah, I mean... I, I get it when you're, like, a smaller organization like Arizona, uh, but when you're the Leafs, I don't know. Take care of business there. That's my that's my opinion uh, on, on how to run the franchise. If you're going to pay guys in the AHL 750k to play for the Marlies, and then you're going to pay the fines for leaving early on your flight after the break, uh, probably makes sense to take care of your general manager. But uh, nevertheless, um, you know, I, I do think it's it's – in terms of Dubas' future, it might be first round or out, or maybe if it's if they're out in the first round, he gets like a one-year extension rather than long-term. We'll see. Uh, I'm interested to see what happens. Um, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole too much, but in terms of just O'Reilly, I was looking at... So he's from the 2009 draft class. He, it seems like he's older than he is, I guess, because he started in the NHL when he was 18. But it's the same draft class as Tavares, Hedman, Duchesne, Kadri, Shen, Kreider, and uh, the one that really stood out there is Kadri because he just signed a seven-year deal last offseason. He's going to have six years left after this one. Uh, he, he signed seven by seven. So 
you know, I don't think O'Reilly's going to take six by seven, but, you know, he's been a better player than Kadri for the vast majority of his career. Um, you know, I do wonder if if O'Reilly takes something in, like, the $5 million range. If he could, I think the term's kind of the key there um, because I think O'Reilly's going to be 32. But if he's willing to take, like, a four-year deal, uh, the Leafs could afford him. Like, they, they can definitely afford someone in the five five and a half million dollar range. Um, you know, does his point total kind of limit his contract here because he's not going to be coming off like a 80 point season or anything like that um, I find like good defensive players are often the ones that kind of get underpaid I know O'Reilly's you know former team Canada former con Smythe so he, you never know but I do think there's a real chance that he takes a bit of a discount um, you know even if he's in the five like around five five point five um, that could be a pretty good deal for the Leafs because you know, Tavares has, is going to have two more years left after this. He'll probably take less after that, or he's going to have to take less. He's not going to get $11 million again. Um, so it will be kind of interesting. You know, you kind of go for three runs or four runs at it uh, rather than just one. So yeah. I guess we'll see. I mean, Bergeron's been good forever. I know <laughs> he's not Bergeron, but, like, he is, like, that sulky. Like, Thornton was good forever, too. Um, I think when we saw him, he's like, in his, I think he was, like, 40 when yeah. he was on the Leafs. But um, just... O'Reilly's like strength on the puck, his hand-eye coordination, his ability to win face-offs, his two-way play. Like he's never been a good skater. So I wonder if he ages a little bit better. We'll see. It's it's kind of you know up for debate. We've only seen him for two games here. I kind of want to see a little bit more of him. I know he hit the post at the end of the game yesterday. He came really close on his first shift to scoring. Um, but I guess the next thing I want to get into, Nick, is. Let's talk about Patrick Kane and, and some of the alternatives uh, quickly. I know Jacob Chikrin is available uh, and is being sat out. Uh, Vladislav Gavrikov is being sat out. Um, Kane would be the other one. It looks like Taze isn't getting traded. You have guys like Jake McCabe, Sam Lafferty, uh, who probably aren't quite as impactful, but still good players. Um, what did you think about, I guess, O'Reilly versus the alternatives? I think O'Reilly checks a lot more boxes. Well, checks all the boxes really when it comes to um, what the Leafs need. I, I do think maybe like a Patrick Kane when we talk about just playoff offense, where the Leafs have just kind of struggled in that in that um, in that kind of field. But so maybe Patrick Kane would have been better, and from an offensive standpoint. But I don't think you want a Patrick Kane defensively on the ice, taking on Stamkos, taking on Sorelli, taking on Braden Point. Um, so I think that was kind of the big one, whereas O'Reilly, like, he could be on the third line with, you know, Engvall Achari, and I'd be completely fine him going up against Stamkos for some shifts, whereas Patrick Kane, I definitely don't feel the same way. So I think when you look at other of the ones, Timo Meyer, I mean, it, I think that they inquired about him. The price was probably a bit too high, so they went to O'Reilly. Meyer, definitely the better player than, than O'Reilly, plus he has that RFA control, but... I mean, if the price was too high, the price was too high. And then the defensive guys, Gavrikov, I definitely did not think that a rental on defense made much sense. Um, Jake McCabe, I mean, we'll see if they still circle back to him. I think I think he's a good player. I like his contract, especially at 50% retained. I've uh, been trying to watch a little bit more Chicago lately. He's just a pretty good player. I like that he didn't play very good against Toronto, but... Um, I like his puck moving. I like his mobility. I mean, those aren't things that he's known for. He's known for his physicality. He's known for taking on tough competition. And I think he does those things as well as well. So we'll see if they circle back to him. I haven't really closed the door on McCabe just yet. 
uh, despite they'll probably have to give up some prospects now that their their draft pool has kind of been depleted from the O'Reilly trade. So other than that, I just don't think the players that were available were defensively good enough. Like you look at Max Domi, not really defensively good enough. Um, so I don't know. I, I think O'Reilly just checks all the boxes. And I think the fact that he's won before the leadership part, I think that management really, really... Uh, values that as well as, as the things he does on the ice. Yeah, yeah, I think I'll, I'll start with Meyer. I just don't think that was ever a fit. Um, you know, it would have been a, a weird situation. You have to acquire him and then basically either flipped him in the offseason or like traded Nylander or Marner to make it work. Uh, I just didn't think that was ever really realistic or ever going to happen. Um, and then also price, like that's probably costing you nice plus plus and you got you kind of need guys like nice and sandine um those cheap contracts when you know you're gonna have you know you still have Tavares, you still have matthews the big four you kind of need those guys on entry-level contracts to kind of free up money elsewhere so didn't really see Myers a fit uh patrick kane you know he was honestly one of the worst players in hockey like for most of the season um uh, just like beyond terrible defensively like his controller died um I think he's got he has five goals in his last two games, but before that he had like seven goals or eight goals or something like that. Um, just just has not been good. You have the hip concern. You also have the fact that he kind of has to choose you. Um, I I don't know if there's a guarantee he gets traded, but you know if 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 he says you can't really wait till the deadline for him to say oh I want to go to Dallas and then you're stuck right so. Uh, I didn't really like the Kane idea. I just, the Leafs don't really need a guy for the power play, which is, I think, why O'Reilly's a better fit. Like, he's power play too. It's not a problem. You know, Kane, yes, they've had power play issues in the past, but, you know, he he's, he's kind of a playmaker. They kind of already have that with Marner. I don't know if that's really complimentary. Do you go five forwards then? You obviously have your kind of core four. Um... And then just in terms of, like, where you play Kane, it's like, okay, well, I want Marner and Elander with Matthews. Um, you know, Kane with Tavares seems pretty weak defensively. And then before Riley was here, it was like, you're not going to play Kane with David Camp or Pontus Holmberg. That's a weird fit. So I just didn't really like the fit. Uh, obviously, he's having a terrible season. Um, to me, Kane is like a elite cherry picker like he plays zero defense and then if he does get a chance at this point in his career yeah he, well he was never a great defensive player but he's like worst defensive player in hockey now and yeah. if you if he gets chances he's he's dangerous he's cr incredibly skilled but um i do think that you pay for points and you know i i think he's basically i, I think he had like 90 points last year he's like the worst 90 point player in the league which isn't terrible but like with the amount of goals that go in the other way, he's more like a 60-point player or something like that, I would say. Um, in terms of value. Yeah, whereas O'Reilly might get 60 points, but because he's so good defensively, he's like a 75-point player, you know, like as good as one. So it's I, I would prefer O'Reilly. I just think he's the better player. Uh, I know after last night's game, that's a bit maybe controversial. We'll see. Um, but that would have been my pick as well. Um, so I think what they did there makes sense. I think McCabe could still make sense. Um, I didn't really, it was, I was never in on, on Gavrikov. I think McCabe's contract at 50% is, is really what appeals to me, but they could still do that. Um, they could still trade next year's first if they wanted to. Um, they still have prospects to trade if, if they, if they really want to. Um, 
I do think forward was the better, the bigger need, uh, especially scoring depth. Um, but yeah, I think everything here, really here made a lot of sense. Um, I guess the other thing that would have been scary is, um, can you imagine if Tampa or Boston got O'Reilly? Like, uh, yeah, I I expected O'Reilly to Toronto. I, I know we had podcasts about this, and and I put out a prediction. I thought McCabe was going to happen. Maybe it still does, but. O'Reilly to me just seemed so obvious to Toronto, like with everything, the fact that he's from Ontario, the fact that he's the type of player Dubis would like. Um, he, they've mentioned it. I know you actually tweeted it. Uh, and actually I thought of it where it was like, I, I feel like Dubis has talked about O'Reilly too, about how he's just like a playoff performer and might not lead in hits, but he's a good competitor. I think it was I, Shanahan. the yeah, after after seeing your tweet, I noticed that it was Shanahan, but like it just seems so obvious. And then obviously the injury happened, and I think talks about him or rumors about him kind of slowed down. But clearly, I mean, he broke a bone. It wasn't it wasn't like a muscle issue that could potentially be nagging. He played two or three games. I think he scored in one of them. Um, so I think the Leafs felt comfortable pulling the trigger there. Um, but I think it, it makes the most sense. I think he just is the best fit there, but. Let's move on. Let's talk about Nolachari because I think he's kind of a underrated part of this deal. Um, you and I have talked about what this bottom six has needed. To me, they needed someone who... They needed more goals in the bottom six. Um, they already have Camp. They have Engvall. They have Zach Aston Reese. Um, they didn't really have like a good goal scorer or, or even someone who can just create much offense. I think Nolachari does that. This is a guy who's scored 20 goals in the league before, uh, has 10 goals this year. They needed someone who was good defensively. I know we talked about JVR in the past, and I felt like he wasn't good defensively, while Nolachari is good defensively. And even from a a deployment point of view, I'm just looking at his 5-on-5 stats here and, and his offensive zone starts over the past couple years. With St. Louis, he was 39%. Then he was with Florida. He had 51%, 28%, 35%, 35%, 33%. So this is a guy who starts in his defensive zone a lot. I think Sheldon Keep's going to find that very, very helpful where he's a guy you can trust. You can you can trust him in the, whether he plays on the camp line, whether he plays on a third line, maybe with O'Reilly. You know, you don't really need to worry about him going up against top competition uh, if there's an icing or you know anything like that, so I think it's just a really crafty trade to to throw Achari in there as well because he's played in the playoffs before, a low shooting percentage this year, on ice shooting percentage at six, so the points haven't really been up there. But um, I think there's some untapped potential here in terms of just a guy that can potentially score a big goal in the playoffs. So I really like Nolachari. I like the speed also. Uh, it kind of gives you like that Blackwell speed to, to try and kind of win pucks um, and beat like Tampa's defenders in the playoffs to the puck on dump in. So, and the fact that he plays center. So I like Achari. I think it's kind of an underrated part of this this deal, and he's looked pretty good for the Leafs so far. I, I feel like you would like Achari too. Yeah, I don't know if I'm a, like as high on skating, but just like he wins so many puck battles. Um... I think that first game, you know, maybe he had some extra motivation because it's his first game with a new team, but he has five shots on goal in, like, 14 minutes of ice time playing with Kerfoot and Aston Reese. Like, he just had chance after chance. Uh, he had a good play against Chicago on the penalty kill uh, against Max Domi, where he just outmuscles him and gets the clear. Uh, he's a right-handed face-off option, which is something this team doesn't really have. Um, 
they're they're kind of loaded with lefties up the middle, so it's nice to have Achari for those defensive zone starts. If if it's on that side, on a strong side, he can take the draw. Um, I, I think he took a, a face off on the to start the penalty kill yesterday with Camp in the box. So uh, yeah, I don't really know what to make of him yet. It's only been two games, but so far he's definitely been impressive. Uh, he already has ten goals this year, which is you know some pretty good secondary scoring. I know he had twenty that one year. I think that was a bit of an outlier, but. I think what the Leafs need is is some some players, especially in the bottom six, who can score from a distance. Like you don't have to score from the net front. Like Kerfoot, Aston, Reese, it feels like they're only scoring if it's a tap in or potentially a breakaway. Um, whereas Achari seems like he can beat a goalie from a distance. He can also score the gritty goals, uh, get a deflection, things like that. So yeah, so far so good. I don't know if you know, I, it sounded like they were interested in him in the offseason. I think Freeman had predicted he was going to go to the Leafs in the offseason. So, yeah, like a guy that, that can play playoff hockey. He's kind of versatile. He can play center if you want to move O'Reilly into the top six. He can also move to wing uh, if needed to. So I like the versatility. Um, you know, I'm guessing they got him for a third is kind of the way I'm, I'm looking at this. I think that's decent value. Again, I, I don't think Abramov and... Godet were even worth the seventh, so I don't think they're really um, considered here. Um, but yeah, I, I think really this trade comes down to you know if O'Reilly signs a team, it's kind of like the Giordano deal where you know two seconds for a rental seems like a lot, but then Giordano signs this team friendly extension, and now it seems like nothing. And then same with O'Reilly, if he signs a team friendly extension, this the price will seem like nothing. Um, but obviously the reverse of that is if he signs a terrible contract, the trade looks even worse. Right, or if the Leafs just win a round or two, this trade looks much much better. So there is downside here for sure. If he walks after round one, Leafs lose in the first round again. That's all we see of O'Reilly in a Leafs jersey. But I do like to kind of taking the chance here. Um, obviously, it'll be it'll be cool if, if everyone wants to win sooner rather than later. And it's definitely nice to have O'Reilly on your side rather than seeing him on Tampa or Boston. I do think he's the best rental available. Um, I think Timo Meyer is definitely the best player available. I'd, I'd take him over O'Reilly, but I think that type of package is, is probably not going to come from Boston or Tampa, I'm hoping, I'm praying. I, I think, like, New Jersey, Carolina. Carolina, um, yeah. Teams with kind of top, top prospects are a little bit better suited for that, but I guess we'll see. Um any, uh, and they both have cap space. I mean, it just makes so much sense. What did you think, um, I guess, on the... For both of them. What did you think on the lineup? So, Keith has started off with Achari as the fourth-line center, and that line's actually played quite well. Um, with O'Reilly in between Tavares, who's now on the wing, and Marner. Um, is that what you're thinking kind of long-term in the playoffs? Or would you lean toward... Obviously, we still need to see it. We haven't seen much, but... Or, or is your first thought, I guess, to put O'Reilly as the third line center? Um, yes. So that, I don't think like if if I was Keith, I would have actually had the lines pretty similar. I would have definitely started O'Reilly with Tavares and Marner, and I actually like that O'Reilly started at center. I think when you bring in a player, you want to put him in kind of a, a spot where they're very comfortable, especially when they arrive in the city like that morning or or the night before. Um, they're not able to to have a practice with the team. So you, you want to have it as comfortable as possible for the player. So I would have probably kept him at center with Tavares and Barner the same way. But long-term, what what I would have is I'd actually keep Yonkro in the 
the top six with Tavares and Marner, I think they've been pretty good. I like Yarncroft with good players. Um, and then I would actually have O'Reilly at third line center. Now, I'm still trying to figure out who the wingers would be because I really like Kampf with Engvall. And on that kind of on that fourth line. And I, I like that they're going to be able to actually turn that Kampf line from a third line to a fourth line um, with O'Reilly there. So I would have O'Reilly at center. I'm still trying to figure out the wingers right now because um, I don't want Zach Aston Reese with, with O'Reilly. So I guess just by process of elimination, it would be Kampf, Engvall, Zach Aston Reese on the fourth line, and then O'Reilly, Achari, and I'm not sure about that last winger just yet, but I do like the versatility of having O'Reilly as third line center. And then when, you know, we've seen Keith make line changes mid-game based on how the, the game situation is. So I like the fact that if you're losing, you can always go back to O'Reilly bumping up into the top six with Tavares and Marner, you know, whether it's after a power play or, sorry, after a penalty kill or when you're losing a game late, late you can always go to that. And if the team is winning, then you can always put O'Reilly with Kampf and Engvall. And I mean, if they're, when they're winning, they've got so many different line combinations because now they have O'Reilly and Achari, two guys that you can trust defensively. So I think you want to have O'Reilly on the ice when, when Tavares or, or Matthews or Martyr are not on the ice. I think there's a lot of value in that. So Yeah, so I'm I'm the same of the same opinion. So I think with with the start, I, I agree with Keith. Like, let's get O'Reilly in the top six. Let's get him playing with two great players in Tavares and Marner. Let's get him a couple points against, you know, you're playing against Montreal-Chicago. Next game's against Buffalo. I wouldn't mind doing the same thing for one last game. Just get a, get take some of the pressure off. Let him get a, a couple points under his belt. His first is a leave, hopefully. Um, and then, really, I think you get down to different combinations. Like, you do need to see that combination because you might move O'Reilly up. Uh, for certain matchups or for, at certain stages of the game. But I do think that he brings the most value to the table at center. Like, I think if you're going to pay the price for a, a rental center, he needs to play center. And Tavares, if you look at Tavares' results this year versus last, in terms of expected goals, like, he hasn't lost a step. He has very pretty strong results. Um, I think you go back to the, the year they had Kadri, and that was such a competitive advantage for the Leafs where they went Matthews line one, Tavares line two, Kadri line three, and they played like the vast majority of the game, right? Like it was so difficult to match up against. One of them is getting, you know, third defense pairs and, and really testing them, right? So you can't really shelter anyone against the Leafs when they, when they had that. And, that, and that's kind of what I'm looking for. Um, I tweeted out the other day, Nick, 5-on-5 five five goal differential this season, so this is a couple days old now, but with Tavares or Matthews on the ice, they're 81, 81 and 49. Like, 81 goals for 49 against, so 62% of the goals. And then without them, they're outscored 40-43, to 43, so 48%. Which makes sense. I mean, it's a pretty low event bottom six, but to me, I mean, if you're getting outscored and outchanced, you're getting outscored and outchanced, whether that's high event or low event, to be honest. Yeah, and we've seen the Leafs in the playoffs. Like, not to say that like the bottom six has been the reason they've lost, but they've had trouble scoring. And I think last year, you know, the Matthews line actually scored quite a fair amount. Tavares line didn't, but you could really use that extra goal from the bottom six. You know, that surprise goal 
Um, we see it every year. There's kind of a surprise player or two on teams that advance. You know, they have a, a few goals in a series that you might not expect. The Leafs haven't really had that. And you look at the bottom six they have. Like, I'm a big Engvall fan, and, and, and I like camp too. That line's very good at playing boring hockey. You know, so you have you have that line, but then who's scoring? Like Engvall's not a huge scorer. He hasn't at least been in the playoffs. Kerfoot doesn't have a good shot. Aston Reese doesn't have a good shot. Um, Camp isn't much of an offensive contributor, even though he he had a decent playoffs last year. Um, they could really use the secondary scoring. I think if you look at teams like Carolina and you look at teams like Boston, you look at their third and fourth lines. You compare it to the Leafs, and they score a lot more than the Leafs in the bottom six. So. I think just that the depth it gives you is going to be impressive. Um, I, I think right now the lineups we've seen has been very top six, bottom six. But I, I do think that I, I'd like to have, and I think what Sheldon Keefe will have the option of doing, is, is basically having at least a second line on the ice at almost all times, right? Like, Camp can take defensive zone starts. He can kind of be a specialist. But other than that, the other three lines, when you have Matthews, Tavares, O'Reilly, you're going to have a second line or better at all times, pretty much. So I, I think that's what really appeals to me. If you can if you can improve, uh, just have a, a deeper roster and, and have three scoring lines that are hard to match up against. Because O'Reilly going up against third pairs, like, good luck, right? Like, that's a pretty good matchup if, if I'm Sheldon Keefe. Yeah. I think when I look at what the goals are for Toronto. I think going into the deadline, it was definitely get a scoring winger or a scoring option. And they definitely have done that. And now when I look at Keefe's objectives over the next month, to me, it's, you know, he, he does a good job of of kind of mixing and matching and, and gaining intel and gaining information throughout the year. And I think you know that your top line is pretty much set, whether that's Marner and Neilander on that top line, but you know that Bunting Matthews duo, whoever the, the right winger is, is going to work um, if it's one of those two. And then you know Yarncroft works with Tavares and Neilander, and you know Engvall Camp works as a kind of like that the defensive zone start. They always are winning their five on five minutes. So to me, does the goal over the next month is one get O'Reilly and Achari, you know, comfortable with the team but the other thing is like who are the wingers that are going to play with O'Reilly on that third line like is it going to be Achari and Pontus Holmberg um is it someone that you look for at the deadline like maybe you get I don't know another depth piece to go onto that line but I think having that overall template of first line second line Kampf Engvall on the fourth line and then O'Reilly at center as the third line. I think that's ideally what you want to go into game one with and trying to fill in the spots. Like, you know, is, is Zach Aston Reese going to be playing next to O'Reilly on that third line? Like, I really hope not. Um, I mean, it makes more sense for him to be with a... The bench. Yeah, he's well, well I think if he's we'll going to be in the lineup, he, he just hasn't been benched yet, really. I think if you have him with Camp Engvall, I think it makes more sense from a just an overall deployment. But is a guy like McMahon maybe is the better option in general to be in the lineup? So I think those are the big questions going forward from Keefe's standpoint. Um, and they've got some time to kind of figure it out whether they want to go for another depth forward. But I think guys like Aston Reese, Holmberg, McMahon, uh, Dryden Hunt potentially, I think these are the guys that really need to compete for these spots because I think the template's down. 
even if we haven't seen O'Reilly as a third line center. I think I think we've seen a big enough sample of him being good as a center in the NHL that that, that would work. Yeah, so I'm pretty set on O'Reilly as the third line center because I think when even when you look at Yarn Croak and you're looking at you know deadline options, if you look at kind of Yarn Croak splits this year, he was very good with Tavares and Marner. It was mainly Marner, um, and then he had very bad results when he was kind of on his own line, right? So he seems like the type who can't really drive his own line, but is is really good at, at kind of being the third guy, right? He goes to the net, he's got a good shot, he's able to finish if you set him up. Um, good on the forecheck, strong defensively. He's, he's kind of a good complementary player. And I know Philip Forsberg actually had a quote about Yarncroft. He kind of said the exact same thing, right? Like, he needs to play with good players. He's kind of a complimentary guy. I think Bunting is, is very similar in the same way. Um, I, I, I'm i very scared to pay Bunting. I don't know how good he is, but I don't think he could drive his own line, right? He's not a great transition player. He's not great defensively. Um, he's, he's kind of a good complimentary guy going the net, converting chances, setting up teammates. So I think Yarncrook's kind of in the same way. And we were looking at deadline guys, I think, a couple of the interesting things were, one, is they don't need anyone on the power play one, right? Like, they have their power play set. Um, so that kind of took away some of the value of, like, a Patrick Kane, for example, or even a little bit Jacob Chikorin. Um, and then, or James Van Riemsdyk, for example. And then you look at, you, you just look at, you know, do they need someone to play with Tavares Marner, or do they need someone to drive their own line? I actually think they need someone to drive their own line a little bit more. Um, I think you you touched on the good combinations, Nick. Like this team's been built on center wing duos, so Matthews Marner Tavares Nylander, or some variation of that. They can flip the wingers if they want. Um, since they used to have Kadri Kapanen years ago, and that was a wicked third line. Um, but but I guess as of late, it's been very top six, bottom six. You also have the, the combo you mentioned, Camp and Engvall, who uh, Engvall has wicked numbers in terms of expected goals. Um, he's not that good at, at converting expected goals to actual goals. I think that line is obviously a little bit below average offensively. Um, I know Camp Engvall, with his lack of physical play, gets frustrating, but he's just on the cycle like the whole game. Like That guy is cycling the puck around the offensive zone all night. Um, he has very strong defensive results for multiple seasons now. I really like them as a shutdown pair. I think the one question is, do you put Engvall up with O'Reilly, potentially on the third line? Would Camp still have decent results? Because Camp has not been good away from, from Engvall. Or do you keep that and just have a really good fourth line? Uh, I think I would try Engvall with O'Reilly, just because I think he needs to play more than, than fourth line minutes. But, you know, then they need a Kerfoot, say, as the transition guy on the fourth line. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. Um, Actually, yeah, I, I completely forgot about Kerfoot in my in my lineups. I mean, I think that's something maybe they look at. I mean, obviously, I know that people are talking about trading him and, and whatnot, including myself, I think. But I think Kerfoot, O'Reilly, Achari is something maybe you can look at. But I, I do have a theory that I wanted to run by you. And... I know a lot of people want Nyes to come in. I do think that there's definitely some, you know, I, I think they're going to give him a chance depending on when uh, Minnesota gets knocked out um, or how far they go into the playoffs and, and their NCAA season. But to me, Kevin, I actually think for players like Nyes, players like even McMahon to a certain extent, Joey Anderson, 
I think their chances of making the playoff lineup, actually maybe not all three of them, but let's say Nyes. I think his chances of making the playoff lineup kind of went up after the Achari and O'Reilly deal. Like, And I'll kind of explain it here because I think just from face value, it's like you, you just added two guys that are going to be in the playoff lineup. How would he get in? But let's say they don't make the O'Reilly deal. Let's say they don't get Achari and the playoffs start today. Like their fourth line would be, well, their third line would be Engvall Kampf. That's going to be a heavy defensive zone start. I would not put Nyes on that line. And then you have a fourth line of Holmberg, let's say, let's say Holmberg, Kerfoot, and let's say Nyes. Like, I don't know if I'd really have Nyes there as a... I wouldn't want that line to be out against Stamkos and and Sorelli and, and Kucherov. Like, I, I think having O'Reilly there just... Like, I don't think I would mind having Kampf, Engvall, and let's say let's say even Zach Aston-Reese. And then you have O'Reilly, Achari. And I would actually give Nyes a chance there. And I think if he looks okay, like you have some good defensive players, guys that have played in the playoffs in terms of O'Reilly who can drive his own line and Achari, just a good playoff performer who can score, like I would give Nyes a chance there. And I think the Leafs are going to give a chance, kind of like how they gave Robertson a chance back uh, against Columbus. So I think just having a stronger bottom six because you have O'Reilly there, it kind of increased Nyes' chances of making the team. I still think it's a long shot, just in general, because he's still young. You know, he hasn't played at the the pro level just yet. But I don't know. I'm just kind of, this is kind of a theory I have where I I think his chances went up. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think even with like McMahon now, like before the trade, you kind of look at it and you go, okay, should McMahon be in the top six? And you go, well, probably not. Like typically you got to kind of prove yourself as a bottom six before you get to the top six. And then, you know, you don't want to really play him that much. Um, and then you look at the bottom six, and you saw Camp there, and you go, okay, like that's that's where he was playing, but you expect that to be a shutdown line, defensive zone start line, and he's a rookie, right? So, you know, more of a defensive focus line, maybe not the best fit, although he had decent success there. And then you look at the fourth line, it was Holmberg, and you're like, okay, well Holmberg's a rookie. I know he's responsible, but a Holmberg McMahon line doesn't really have a lot of experience. I don't know if I want that against. You know, getting caught out against Bergeron or Kucherov or whatever. So yeah, I do think that this is definitely going to kind of be interesting in terms of it does free up more options. Um, I would like to see McMahon up now and almost act as a placeholder for Nyes. I think Nyes will get a chance. Um, You know, part of signing is that he's going to want to burn his first year. So he's going to get games like Nick Abrazizi did at, at, at worst case. Um, I do wonder how much we should expect from him. It's kind of, you know, we'll, we'll wait and see. Um, but I do think what's interesting is um, some of the ice time, Nick. So put you on the spot here with a question. Uh, what do you think the five-on-five five ice difference was last year between in the playoffs between Tavares and Camp? I think I've looked at this. I don't think it was very big. I know Camp played a lot against Tampa. Um, I'll say two minutes at five-on-five. I think it was about, I think it was three minutes. But, interesting enough, Camp played more than Tavares. So, you know, I don't know if that was just, I don't know if I would count on that going forward, obviously, uh, especially now that there's been the trade. But Camp was counted on to play those shutdown minutes, you know, often getting shifts against, you know, top lines, either whether it's the Stamkos line or the 
the big first line with Kucherov. And I think O'Reilly, obviously a former Selkie winner, I don't think you want to play camp that much, it's safe to say, right? Mm-hmm. I think you're much more comfortable giving O'Reilly those minutes and having a bit more of a dual threat. Um, not just pure defense, but also able to chip in a little bit. Uh, because the camp line, I know camp had a couple goals, but the camp line didn't score, um, and, and neither did the forest line. So now you have the chance to p- potentially, like I think if if you're at home and you get to match up, I'd I'd go O'Reilly against Kucherov. I'd go Matthews against Stamkos because I think he's winning that matchup, and then Tavares against the third line. Like that would be kind of ideal, right? Like you, I remember. Early on in, in the Matthews Marner era, you had that JBR Bozak Marner line that could just dominate because no one could match up against them. They're all busy matching up against Matthews, right? Kadri's getting tough competition. Um, then you have this Bozak Marner duo with JVR that's just scoring like crazy against third pairs. Um, it would be interesting. Tons of zone starts. Tons of offensive zone starts. Um, like if Tavares is in that role. I think he could definitely thrive. Um, I want to see Tavares back at center. It's a little bit weird. You're, you're kind of losing his face-off ability, playing with O'Reilly. Um, but I do think that that is kind of the way to go. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what you do because you could, depending on who's getting the toughest matchups, like if it's the Matthews line, um, which maybe makes a bit more sense against Tampa, I don't think it makes a ton of sense against Bergeron just because of how good Bergeron is defensively. But with, you know, if if O'Reilly's going to be the shutdown line, you know, Yarncro could be a good fit. Engvall would be a good fit. You could put Marner with him if you wanted to. Um, so many options. And then if O'Reilly's not going to get that matchup, then O'Reilly can, like, shelter someone like Nyes or McMahon, for example. Um, that, that would make sense as well. Um, so it would kind of be cool if you go, like, like, I was thinking of putting Marner back with Matthews because they had a ton of success last season, and then they actually did produce in the playoffs. Um, they actually that line was quite effective, um, and you also get Marner a little bit more ice time. So I, I'd go bunting Matthews Marner, and then I'm actually wondering if you go like Tavares Nylander Nyes as like a sh- up against third pair, like that would crush third pairs, was, and then you go. Sorry, it was Nyes Tavares Nylander? Yeah, no, or cool. even like McMahon for now, like McMahon, Tavares, Nylander. And then you play like O'Reilly with Yarncroke, who could shoot, because O'Reilly's more pass first, and like maybe Kerfoot. I don't know if Kerfoot really fits with O'Reilly. We'll see. Um, I think the last, the other point I want to make about Kerfoot is, you know, he's kind of the last guy they can trade. They're kind of dollar in, dollar out. He's kind of the obvious guy. I know some people have Engvall, but I think Engvall's better at kind of driving a line than Kerfoot. The other thing is um, Kerfoot. So so Kerfoot is he, he has a particular skill set. Like he's good in transition. He's good defensively on the wing. I think a lot of his value and the, a lot of the reason he got three point five in the first place was because of of his ability to play center. And you look at before the O'Reilly trade, and with if if Matthews and Tavares were hurt, the Leafs were kind of screwed. Like their center depth looked terrible Kerfoot had to be the second line center like he was the best fit for it now if one of them get hurt not that it's ideal but O'Reilly jumps up you go Camp and Achari up the middle like you had last night so I think that you know a lot of his value has kind of been diminished Kerfoot you also look at the fact that he's a pass first player it's kind of tough to play him with Marner because he's so 
bad at converting chances, especially this year. I think you know some of that will rebound, but he needs to be close to score. He's never been a guy that beat goalies from a distance. Um, you know, it, it would be interesting if you put like Kerfoot with Tavares and Yarncroke or something, and, and you gave O'Reilly a better winger. Maybe that's an option, but. You know, Kervit's been excellent since his trade. I think he's looked amazing on the fourth line. But 3.5 for a fourth-line winger when, you know, Joey Anderson was playing very well. McMahon looks very good. Um, you at least trust Aston Reese to play boring hockey. Uh, I do wonder if that money would be better spent on a on adding a, more of a play-driving winger for O'Reilly, whether that be, like, a Kevin LeBlanc, whether that be, like, Connor Garland, whether that be even... Yeah, I don't know if JVR is the best fit with nice coming in but that would be kind of a good scoring winger like for the bottom six like if he's sheltered if he's shel- if he's cheap because like him at half half percent uh, 50 percent is 3.5 which is kerfoot's cap it exactly um if he's cheap like he'd be a, he's good in that role like we we know what he is like he's not great defensively but if you get him in a sheltered role he's He's good at converting chances. I don't know. After after Dubas's press conference last time where he said, you know, we're not looking to trade picks for rentals, a first for a rental. Uh, and then he did it. I mean, I don't know if that was 4D chess or if they just, he just reconsidered. I'm kind of surprised that they lost last night. I'm not going to lie. I think after, after they added O'Reilly and I saw the schedule, you kind of expect that they're going to go on a bit of a run. But um, I don't know. I, I they're a fun line to watch. Just kind of rambling here. The O'Reilly, Tavares, Marner line. Because they all play... Like, they're not a quick line. And they all kind of slow the game down to their own speed. So, they're very dangerous on the cycle. Um, they keep the puck down low. They're all very good at... You know, especially Tavares and O'Reilly at using their bodies to protect the puck. Where Marner's a little bit more shifty. Where he kind of uses, uh, kind of he drops his shoulder to to make turns and and to gain space for himself. But I really like them as a line. I, I I like the I like the brand of hockey that they play. I, I just I think the team has kind of missed like a very good cycle since like the Sandy the Sundin days, like the Sundin Roberts <laughs> McGilney days, where they just used to always do that. So I I like to see it. We gotta we gotta cut you off there. No more s- talking about Sundin Roberts. Um, you're in Panama. You gotta get outside. We gotta let you go here. Enjoy the sunshine because it's. Is it still freezing rain there? Not freezing, but it's. No, but on on Thursday it was terrible. Maybe it was Friday. It's all a blur. But um, I couldn't even like get into my car. It was it was so bad. So. Uh, enjoy the uh, the sunshine. Make sure the people on the beach know about the line combinations, and and hopefully you can kind of console everyone about the loss of Gadet and Abramov for the Marlies. So yeah, that's gonna be I'll our next some, pod. Is the the Marlies big ad? We I'll get some mailbag questions for the next pod from okay. from people on the beach. Perfect, perfect. Well, thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see everybody soon.